0: We are so Presbyterian. <laughs> I was looking around as they were singing this song and I saw you guys with your hands you were <laughs> that's about as wild as you all get sometimes. I mean if this were in other churches you would have been dancing around in the aisles singing I got the testimony and we're doing <laughs> but that, for you that was pretty darn enthusiastic so I'm glad that you joined in on declaring you have a testimony too. Happy New Year Chapel Hill. Happy New Year, Cindy and I got away with our family down to Salt Lake for a while. We we managed to sneak back last week to hear Pastor Larry preach. Just a powerful message to conclude our series on prayer. We love. We don't want to be anywhere else when it comes to Sunday or Sunday worship. So it was good to be back with you. I want to begin my message with. Um, sharing with you a, a, a really a great piece of news. Would you like some good news? Of course, the whole gospel is good news. That's what it is. But we're going to start the good news with some good news, okay? So some good news, family news. Yesterday, Ellis White completed the last of his ordination exams in preparation for being a pastor of the Evangelical Presbyterian Church. So, assuming he passed those exams, and... Can I see the hands of those who uh, would bet against Ellis passing a test? Yeah, that's what I thought. Assuming he passed three weeks from now, he will be examined on the floor of our presbytery to see if he pastors muster there. And uh, and if he does, then two weeks uh, after that, February 12th, uh, LS Thomas Charles White will be ordained as our new, for the first time, our new uh, pastor, assistant pastor of uh, for evangelism here at Chapel Hill. I think that deserves a great huzzah. Ready? And this is a monumental accomplishment because not only has he completed his seminary work and his exams, he's been working all the whole time in the life of this church, and you all have been touched by that ministry. We, I know, feel so blessed uh, to have them join our pastoral team. Uh, This has been a wonderful and long journey that's gone faster than we could imagine. And really, we we need not only to laud Ellis for this, we need to laud his wife Rachel, who without whom he could not have made this. It would not have been possible. So I'm I'm glad for your enthusiasm. Why don't we just uh, close our time of celebration there by just giving one big huzzah? Ready? Huzzah. Yeah. We one more. That was kind of fun. Huzzah! There we go. Yeah, we go. Last week Larry wrapped up a, a series on prayer, but we've been actually uh, talking about prayer all all year long. We started in September, and uh, we with the disciples we asked the question, "Lord, teach us to pray." And, uh, and so we listened as Jesus taught us to pray the way he did on the, uh, on the Sermon on the Mount, the Lord's Prayer. We journeyed through and broke that down, and I hope it enriched your prayer life because it certainly did mine to revisit this old friend in a, in a deeper way. And then um, during Advent, uh, we started with prayers in the darkness of the Old Testament in anticipation of the coming of Jesus, and that transition into prayers of light. Uh, in uh, in the birth of, of, of Jesus. So we've had a great season of studying about prayer. Now, after four months of, of studying prayer, guess what we're going to do? Pray. Yeah, we're going to pray. Now, I know that you all have been praying, but but we want to move into a time when we're praying as a congregation. We're praying together as a body for specific groups of people, okay? Uh, we're, so we're starting a sermon series today called Intercede. Say Intercede. Intercede, the definition of intercede is to plead with someone in authority on behalf of someone else. To plead with someone in authority on behalf of someone else. And what better uh, description of that can we have than when we're pleading to the Almighty God on behalf of others. And so I want to take these things we've been learning about prayer, I hope you have, And begin to put them to use in a concerted effort as a body of Christ. Praying for the same thing week by week. And see in what way the Lord's heart and his hand might be turned because of the prayers of his people. For instance, during the week of inauguration, we're going to listen to Paul's admonition. And we're going to pray for our leaders. We're going to pray for our nation in a very concerted way. Um, Following that, the next week, we're going to pray for our city. In fact, that, that afternoon you're going to be invited to a prayer walk downtown. I hope you'll do it. We'll meet together and then we're going to walk through the city and we're just going to pray for businesses and community leaders and for, uh, for the homes and the residents of Gig Harbor. We're going to pray for our people. Following that, in the weeks to come, we're going to pray specifically for marriages and we're going to pray specifically for families and for children. We're going to pray for a, a week of prayer for unbelievers we want to care about those who right now are apart from Christ. We're going to pray for our missionaries in a very concerted way. And we're going to wrap it up by praying for our enemies. Jesus said to do it. We're going to do it. We're going to pray for our enemies. Each week I'm going to preach on a text that matches the, the topic that we're praying for. And then we're going to give you some specific helps or hints or reminders so that when you walk through the doors of amnesia at the end of every service, you don't just forget these good things that you had in mind, but that you carry it out into your week. Does that sound good? So this is what we're going to do, God's people. we're We're going to pray together. We're going to intercede together. And we're going to start this morning by praying for the church, the big C church. When someone says church, typically we think this, right? Let's go up to the church. We're talking about a building, but you know that when the Bible talks about church, it's not this that the Bible's talking about. What is the Bible talking about when it says church? Right here, right. The church in the scriptures is not a building. It is the people of God. It is those that have have been claimed by the name of Jesus Christ and who are saved and and walking in the Spirit of God. And uh, so that's, that's what we're talking about when we say church. And, and when we say church this week, we're not talking about just the Little C Church, Chapel Hill. Frankly, we spend a lot of time praying about our own needs, our own people, and that's okay. But we're not going to do just this Little C particular church. We want to broaden that out. We want our hearts to grow and to care for and remember that the church of Jesus is a lot bigger than this little corner of his world right here. And we want to make ourselves begin to pray more broadly for the church of Jesus Christ. I'm thinking about this because I just got a, an email from my daughter who is in Thailand. She's part of the team that's already over there. She sent me an email the morning and said, Daddy, I just preached the sermon That was not planned, by the way. She said, you got to love the Eastern world. So my daughter, your, your representative is over there preaching to our brothers and sisters in a church across the world. And that's what I want to broaden our hearts to be praying about in this week of prayer as we pray for the church. Our text for this comes from the Lord's Prayer. And you'll say, Lord's Prayer, we just spent like a billion years in the Lord's Prayer. Not that Lord's Prayer. I know that we call that prayer the Lord's Prayer, the prayer that Jesus taught on the Sermon on the Mount. But really, that wasn't the Lord's Prayer. That's what we've named it. That was our prayer, right? That's the prayer that the Lord taught us how to pray. But if you want to listen in on the Lord praying, the Lord's Prayer, you need to turn to John 17. In fact, I'd urge you to do that this week. Just make your devotions this week in the book of John 7, in the, in the chapter, John chapter 17. For that is the Lord praying. He's on his knees in prayer. And he prays first of all for himself as he gets ready to go to the cross. He prays for his disciples that they will carry on his ministry and mission. And by the way, he prays for us too as we will see in our reading from today. So that's the prayer. It's also called his high priestly prayer. But if you want to see the heart of Jesus for his church, the way that Jesus prays for his church, then that is the place that we need to to uh, turn, John 17. Actually, honestly, it's kind of like a ribeye steak. It is meaty. It is thick. You can chew on one verse for a long time. And so, this morning, I want to turn just to a tiny little juicy segment of the end cut of the of the of the steak. Here, it's John chapter 17, verse 20 that we're going to read together. And I want you to notice that this is Jesus praying for us, uh, as you will see from the text. He is praying for those who have not yet even been born. Not yet even believed, but will one day believe because of the work of the disciples, because of their word. So can you imagine this 2,000 years ago? Jesus was on his knees praying for a community of believers in him in Gig Harbor. Now, I want us to listen to what it is that Jesus prays for, for us and for his broader Church. There is one thing that he prays and if you listen carefully you'll find that it appears three times in the text, alright? So I'm going to call you out on it. This is a test day. When I want you to tell me what is it that is on Jesus' heart that he would ask the Father three times for the same thing for his church, the big C church, alright? So he has just um, prayed for his disciples. So when you hear me reference it, he has just prayed for his disciples and now he turns his Prayer attention to you and to the rest of us who live in this day in Christ. Listen to John 17, verses 20 and through 23. He's, what he has just prayed, that they would not be in, of the world, but in the world, but not of the world. He goes on to say, I do not ask for these only, that is, only for these disciples of mine, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's you. That they may all be one. and loved them even as you loved me. This is the word of the Lord. Jesus, would you please cause this to be true in our lives today as we hear, receive, and live out your prayer for us by the power of your Spirit. In Jesus' name I ask this. Amen. Of all of the things that Jesus might have prayed for, for his church, his big seat... Global, international, down through the ages, church. What is the one thing that Jesus prays for, not once but thrice? What is it? That they may all be one. Did you hear that? He says it three times, that they may all be one. He doesn't pray for our success. He doesn't pray for um, for our power. He doesn't pray for our protection. He doesn't even really pray for our love. Even though he told us earlier in that same setting that it was a new commandment that we would love one another. But he doesn't pray that we would love each other even. He prays this. Father, make us one. That you would make us one. He does it three times. In fact, the last time he prays that the the Father would make us perfectly one. Now, What kind of unity? He gives an example of the kind of unity he longs for among his children, his followers. Did you see the unity? What kind is it? It's the unity that exists between the Trinity. Again, that's mentioned more than once. He said, Father, just as I am in you and you in me, I want them to be in relationship with each other. He says it twice. It is the unity found within the Trinity. Imagine that. Jesus is praying that that same perfect oneness that has existed from eternity between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit would be the unity that we would experience as the followers of Jesus. That's what he longs for, that kind of connection with us. And then he goes on to say the reason for this prayer, it's just not that we'd feel good about one another. It's not that we'd sing Kumbaya and then sing lovely songs together. What is the reason for the unity Jesus prays? Did you see it? It's so that the world might believe. Did you see that? It's, and again, he mentions it twice. I want them to be one so that the world might believe that you have sent me. The reason for our unity is not just unity itself, although unity is certainly a good thing. The purpose of the unity, the end of the unity, is that the world will look to the church of Jesus, see the remarkable way that they are one, and they will be drawn to believe in Jesus. So that is the simple formula for the prayer that Jesus offers up for us. Of all the things he might have prayed, this is what he prays, and he repays it again and again and again, that they will be one, like the Trinity, as a witness to the world. They will be one, like the Trinity, as a witness to the world. What matters most to Jesus? That we would be one. Here's a tough question for some of you to revisit in your past. How many of you have ever lived through a church split or a nasty church fight? Raise your hands, keep them up. Look around. If you haven't gone through this, look to the brothers and sisters who have. There are few things that are more painful than watching God's people chew up one another. Isn't that true? If you have been through it? There's just nothing more painful to watch. I confess this last week has been painful for me. Because I have been involved in, in caring for not one but two different churches that are in terrible division. There's a handful that have ousted their pastor. The rest of the church is angry about it. They're in complete painful uh, disunity. And there are others who simply have thrown up their hands and said, I've had it. I've had it. I'm so angry. I'm so mad. I, I want nothing more. And so they've walked away. Maybe walked away entirely from the church. It often happens when we see the church at its worst. People just walk away. It has been said that the church is the only army that shoots its wounded. Unbelievers watch us fighting with each other and it just disgusts them. Why would they want to follow the one that we call the Prince of Peace when the followers of the Prince of Peace brutalize each other in that way? If you've been through a church split, a church fight, you know what I'm talking about. If you have not, thank God. And if you have not, you have no idea how blessed you are to be a part of a congregation that is united. Where the elders are of one mind. Where we really act as if we love and care for each other. I call this a sweetheart church. I know what I'm talking about. Because I've seen churches that are anything but sweethearts. And this is such a treasure. To be preserved and to be appreciated. And to be just soaked up. And to be stewarded well, so that it is handed on from generation to generation, we are a, an answer to the prayer of Jesus that day when He said, "Well, Lord, make them one." Chapel Hill is existing in a way that honors the prayers of Christ, and we thank God for that. But when Jesus prayed that, He wasn't just praying for one little church. He wasn't just praying for Chapel Hill. Jesus prayed that that all may be one. All of my people, all of those who call themselves by name, all of them would be one. So my question would be, how are we doing at that? When the world looks at the big C Christian church, is it so astounded by our unity that it just can't help but abandon whatever faith they are a part of and follow the Christ of that church? This next October 31st will be an historic day. And it's not because it's Halloween. What happened 500 years ago on October 31st? That's exactly right. Martin Luther nailed 95 talking points on the door of the Wittenberg Church to have a conversation. That's where they not, that, was their e, that was their email right there. I mean, that's how they communicated. He nailed that up there to start a conversation about things that he felt the Catholic Church needed to address. He had no idea the firestorm that he was about to start. It was the beginning of what we call the Protestant Reformation. And the Protestant Reformation is why we are worshiping up here and not down the street at St. Nick's. We were part of that splitting of God's church. But that wasn't the first big split in the church. In fact, there was another split that took place 500 years earlier in 1053, 1054. It was called, in fact, the, the Great Schism. It was a split between what was then the, the Western Church, which was the Latin Church, and the Eastern Church, which was what, what was their tradition? The Greek. The Latin and the Greek Church. The, the Latin and the Orthodox Church. It was a split over things that now we would look at it and you say, you've got to be kidding me. But at the time it was, they were dead serious about it. And so they split. They called each other heretics. They called each other apostates. They still don't commune together. In fact, the last time that leaders of the Roman church and the Orthodox church shared in communion was in 1050, uh, 1453 in the church of Hagia Sophia in Constantinople, modern, modern-day Istanbul. They shared a last communion together as the Turks were knocking down the city walls ready to break in and slaughter them all. Isn't it a pity that it takes a calamity of that sort to call God's people together to the table of the Lord. And isn't it a pity that to this day, Christians around the world look at each other with suspicion and judgment. I remember when I led a group to Israel, and I do that, as you know, frequently. I hope all of you have a chance to come with me someday. It just changes the way that you see scriptures. One of the early times in the trip, we went to a village called Cana. Remember what happened in Cana? Cana was where, uh, the Lord Jesus performed his first miracle at a wedding, right? He turned the water into wine. And so we visited a beautiful little Greek Orthodox church in Cana. And I read the story. Maybe I can see it up there. I'm looking for it. I, maybe it's not. Um, there it is! Nope. That's not it. Back up. Back up. There it is! <laughs> beautiful little chapel in Cana and and so we I went up to the front of that chapel and I was reading the story and then I surprised everyone by having the couple stand and I did a renewal of their marriage vows in this site where Jesus blessed weddings blessed marriage by his presence and by his first miracle it was very holy and very sweet uh uh, for the first half of that ceremony suddenly the doors flew open in the back And in runs the priest in his black robes. They're they're flying behind him, waving his finger at me and shouting at me. I couldn't understand the language, but I'm pretty sure he wasn't saying, I'm so glad that you're doing this in here. (laughs) And so obviously we stopped and we left. And uh, our guide later told us that because we are not Greek Orthodox, we are not welcome to worship in that building. We can sightsee. We can't worship there. Two days later, we were standing on Mount Tabor. Mount Tabor is the Mount of Transfiguration. It's where Jesus went with Peter, James, and John up to the top, and and the Lord appeared to them, and Elijah and Moses, and his, his robe was transfigured. He became just white as the sun. It's a powerful story. God speaks his favor upon his boy. And uh, and so they built a beautiful Roman Catholic church on the top of Mount Tabor. It's one of my favorite churches in the Holy Land. The mosaics are exquisite. The acoustics. There's a little undercroft, a little arched area underneath that you can that you can go down into and sit. And you go down there and read the story and and sing. And uh, so I was eager to get our people there. Take, let's go to the next slide and you get a peek there, right there, and the the, the it's just gorgeous. And so um, I was, we walked in eager to have this opportunity and only to discover there already was a mass taking place down in by the altar. And so we stood respectfully back. Uh, I thought maybe when they're done we might have a chance to sneak in before schedule required that we head on out again. And so we just waited patiently. As they were going on with their worship, I recognized, we recognized hymns that they were singing. So we sang them in English. And uh, we recognized that they were saying the Lord's Prayer, so we joined in the saying of the Lord's Prayer. And when all of that was done, the, they, began, they got ready for communion, and the priest looked up at me, and he went like this. And I thought, well, I thought I'm confused, is what I thought. <laughs> because, you, you know, I know that Roman Catholics are, not, you know, priests are not to, supposed to serve non-Catholics the, the communion, the Mass, and uh, so I frankly hesitated, unlike me, but I did. And he looked at me more sternly, and I thought, okay, when in Rome. Uh, so, uh, so we made our way down, and the, my, my group followed me on down, and we received communion from this very gracious Catholic priest. What a stark contrast between this and this, Right? And which do you think best represents the heart of Jesus when he prayed, let them be one, even as you and I are one? This or this? Now we are in a world, a Christian faith, that believes a lot of different things and we have a lot of different cultures. How then should we, as God's people in this corner, in this tradition, how can we begin to have a heart that that grows towards those who are different but who claim the same faith? One thing is to remember what we hold in common to remember the things that we do believe that we share. There are a lot of things that we don't agree on, but to remember the things that we do agree on. And one of the ways that we can do that is to frankly return to an ancient creed of the church written back in 325 alongside of a little lake called Nicaea, Remember, the Council of Nicaea, the Nicene Creed was written for this very purpose so that the worldwide church of God at the time would be able to affirm the things that we believe together. And so... Today we begin, we are able to pronounce the the Nicene Creed. We're going to do that as part of our baptismal ceremony, ceremony later on. It's our opportunity to say, I know there's lots of stuff that we disagree on, lots of things culturally, traditionally, liturgically with which we do not agree. But here, can we agree these things about Jesus, about God, about the Spirit, about his second coming, about the church? Yes, we can. And so we'll lift up those things that we believe together and then we'll kind of let the Lord sort out this other stuff on the periphery. That's one way that we can be one. Here's a second way we can be one. We can pray for the big C church. We can pray for others who are not a part of this congregation. And I'll be honest with you, this is where pastors fall down sometimes. And because we, we tend to view other churches as competitors And I know that has been true in my own ministry. Instead of celebrating what God is doing at St. John's or Harbor Christian Center or Believers or Fox Island Alliance, there have been times when I viewed them as competitors. When people left Chapel Hill to go somewhere else, instead of celebrating that they have found another Christian church home, I was sometimes resentful because I felt like they'd gone over to the other team. And that is a very shameful thing that I admit to you. I'm not proud of that at all. But I'm telling you the truth about how possessive and jealous and defensive pastors can get. And I'm one, I'm one of those. So to do battle with that, that's one of the reasons you'll find in the back of your bulletin. If you turn right back, you would find it there. You'll find every Sunday a particular community church listed by name. Because we're going to do battle with that sense of competition by praying for them. By praying God's blessing upon them. By praying that God will flourish them. By praying by, that they will make a great advance in the kingdom because of the work that they are doing. If it, because I am convinced that it is the devil who is the one who would love to sow seeds of dissent. If he wants to make me jealous and possessive of God's children then the best way, the best way to combat that is to pray that other churches will flourish in our community. And so... That's what I want us to do this week. We're going to pray. We're going to pray that God will flourish the Big C Church in this community. We're not going to pray worldwide so much yet. We're going to come to that later. But for now, we're just going to pray locally. We're going to... And, 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 and frankly, if we don't care for and pull for and pray for St. Nick's and HCC and Fellowship of Believers and all of it, if we don't pull and pray for them... what? How are we going to possibly care for some Thai congregation or some Greek Orthodox congregation halfway around the world? So let's start with our neighbors. Let's start praying for those who are closest to us that God's heart in us might grow for the rest of his people. So I want to ask you to do that. And I'm going to give you a few ways to help remind you when you walk out the doors of amnesia. First of all, open your bulletin. And you'll find my letter in the front inside page. Down at the bottom, you'll see a little gray guidance box for you. Would you please do this? Would you please think of the name of a person that goes to another church, a friend of yours? Write him down. And then I want to do this, and you're not going to ask me to hear me ask this very often. But during the renewal of vows that we're going to do in just a moment, I would ask you to text that person and say, How can I pray for your church? Okay. When you walk out the door, is that right? You're going to find baskets somewhere that have these green stickers in them. I'd ask you to put this on your steering wheel. It's obnoxious. And so put it on your steering wheel. And and every time you see it, when you drive by a church in the community, pray for them. Arrow prayers, lifting them up. Okay? And then finally, we're going to send you tomorrow an e-bulletin reminder that includes the request. We requested of every church in our community, how could we pray for you this week? We got 12 responses back, which is great. You might have seen some of them up there. And uh, we're going to send those out to you and I invite you to pray by name, specifically for the the pastors and the churches of this community. What will happen if the people of Chapel Hill say, we're going to join our hearts, our brothers and sisters around this community. We're going to pray that God will flourish every one of these churches, that the kingdom of God might be advanced. That's what we're going to do. We're going to pray in unity, the unity that is ours when we are baptized into the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We're going to pray and claim that unity for the rest of our brothers and sisters in this community and see what God will do. Does that sound good to you? Does that sound good to you? Will you do it? Nod your head vigorously. Yet You will do it. All right. We're going to move on into a time of baptism and... uh, I'm going to pray as we do. Father, thank you for being with us in this word. Thank you for your call to unity. Forgive us when we get selfish or protective or defensive of our own turf. God, forgive me for that. Give me a heart that is bigger and that trusts you and that shares. And uh, Lord, we pray that because we pull for each other and love each other, care for each other, the world in this community would be amazed and would be drawn to the Jesus who does such things in his people. We pray that in Christ's name, amen.